I'm Ethan Warren. And this is The Great Hunting Caper. We did our first film in Los Angeles, our second in London. I thought it would be nice to do the next one in our hometown. Jim Henson served as producer on The Muppets Take Manhattan, but he vacated the director's chair this time, leaving Frank Oz to claim his first solo directing credit. Frank, in fact, did the bulk of the screenwriting as well. Though Jim had entrusted the assignment to the same team that delivered The Great Muppet Caper, their new script, the unimaginatively titled The Muppets The Legend Continues, was deemed over-jokey by Frank and lacking in Jim's view. The sense of our characters caring for each other and having respect for each other. A positive feeling, a positive view of life. That's a key to everything we do. Production on The Muppets Take Manhattan took place entirely on location, with the Muppet performers seen in prominent locations throughout the city, lying on their backs on rolling dollies to the delight of bystanders, all of whom wanted to meet the Muppets. Not the performers, of course. The Muppets. And it was one of the first New York movies I remember watching. It was like, when I went to New York, um, the first time I went to New York, the first thing I thought was like, I gotta recreate <laughs> Muppets Take Manhattan and like, look at the bridge and um, be like Kermit, this little small town person trying to make it in the Big Apple, except I was on vacation, so I wasn't trying to make my living. But um, I think it's a, it's a good sort of introduction to New York for children. Um, although I don't think the New York that exists in Muppet State Manhattan has ever actually existed. Um, it's a very like whimsical New York. It really set up like this is what New York's going to be and then it's not what New York is going to, it's not, there's not enough trash in this movie to really <laughs> show New York. But the way that like, they film the characters in Central Park really makes that look so magical and um, the, everything about it makes, like it made, it made the Brooklyn Bridge look magical. It just really, it was almost like Wizard of Oz kind of style way that it makes you think New York is going to be so much more interesting than it is. Not to diss on New York too much, but um, it's not as magical as anything the Muppets can do. But nothing's ever as magical as the Muppets, so that's fair. <laughs> I love Muppets Take Manhattan. I feel like in some ways, this is hyperbolic, but it's also not. I feel like in some ways I, I kind of always wanted to move to New York because of Muppets Take Manhattan. I think I, I saw that movie as a kid and uh, it imprinted on me in, in some very, very significant way. The version of, you know, New York that the Muppets go to and uh, and, and eventually, you know, find themselves uh, not surviving in, but then eventually uh, making it work. It's such a great New York film. And it has all of these sort of great tropes of a great New York film, but also it's the Muppets, and so it it just it 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 heavily uh, heavily imprinted on me. The Muppets Take Manhattan. When I was a kid, I was under the extreme misapprehension that this was the second Muppet movie and not the third Muppet movie, which shouldn't have, but did really throw off my weighing of the various importances of the Muppet movies. But the Muppets Take Manhattan was a very special movie to me as a child. I grew up in New Jersey right outside of New York, and New York to me was the place that you go to when you're a grown-up. It's where you go and live a grown-up life, and you really become your own person, and you get to live your own in your own space. And there were three movies that were so important to me growing up in that sense. Ghostbusters, Gremlins 2, and The Muppets Take Manhattan. And Because each of them had kind of like a little glimpse of what it's like to be a grown-up in New York. Ghostbusters had 
Dana coming home with groceries and then unpacking them in her apartment, which was the most amazing fantasy to me as a, as a kid, that you would just like live that life on your own time. And Gremlins too, of course, it's all New York all the time. And The Muppets Take Manhattan, the most exciting thing to me about it was not the Muppet aspect of it. Not even that the Muppets were in the city close by to me. It wasn't like I was like, well, now I'll go meet the Muppets because they're close by. Uh, it was the whole sequence where Kermit is has amnesia and becomes like an advertising executive and wears a suit and goes to lunch with his coworkers. I was so enamored of that and the idea of like, oh, when you're a grown-up and you go to New York, you get to go to an office, you can have your own little space like with your own phone, and then you go to like a Greasy Spoon diner for lunch with your coworkers. And just the idea of living, I, I guess essentially living free of parents and free of teachers. I guess you still have a boss, but you don't see Kermit's boss particularly much. They all seem to be, it seems to be a sort of like, um, like amphibian advertising commune where ever like a, or a co-op where everybody's kind of on the same level even the new guy who just joined and that i think also possible and i guess the message of the movie is like this is terrible oh no kermit has lost his friends and he's become this conformity machine that is doing advertising Ugh, oh the worst of all expressive expressive forms and i know we the jim henson productions we do a lot of advertising but we only do it so we can support our our love of other things oh no it's terrible he's become a the man in the gray flannel suit but to me as a kid i was like oh imagine like you find your own group you get to hang out with them. Nobody's telling you what to do except what project to work on, you know, what soap to do an ad campaign for. And I was always a little sad when Kermit was found by his friends and they managed to remind him that he was Kermit because the idea of doing their objectively mediocre collegiate musical, the idea of doing that on Broadway was so much less exciting than being off on your own as an adult, living a, living your own life. You probably live in an apartment, in a big apartment building, that's exciting. Maybe you take taxi cabs places like this. It All of that was so romantic to me as a, as a child. Um, and it took years of living in New York for me to discover just how uh, incredibly stressful it is to live in New York City. Uh, but it was just such a, it was such a beautiful shining moment where it was like, it should be sad. Like, his friends can't find him. Oh, no, Kermit and Fozzie are never going to make jokes together. But still, it felt like he had a, he had discovered a sort of freedom, you know, and this sort of, like, the kind of cool gray and blue world of New York of the 1980s, you know, as opposed to the kind of, like, high-energy, loud, you know, bright-colored world of the Muppets and almost and everywhere else. Uh, and as a kid, I just really, I just really envied that. I envied those moments. And it's funny because the original Muppet movie, I saw myself so much and was so um, attracted to the idea of being a performer and being with this kind of circus of, of weirdos. But then by the Muppets Take Manhattan, for whatever reason, I was like, I've had enough of the circus of weirdos. Like, I really want to live like a normal kind of, a normal life where uh, I'm, I'm in charge of things and I don't have to deal with all these other guys. And maybe it's just, maybe that's it, is that uh, I felt like Kermit needed a break from just dealing with the stress of running the Muppets. And there's something exciting about the same way that um, every now and then, because I, I've been very lucky to be a professional writer for many years and to be supporting a family entirely on writing and podcasting. And um, it's very exciting to me. And I have so many things I want to write and things I want to say. But there are times when I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if my job was not something that was special to me? And I just like worked in an ad agency and I worked there sometimes we'd stay up late working and we'd have to order in Chinese food, which was another thing that was a very big 
totem to me as a kid growing up was the idea of staying late at work and ordering Chinese food in little takeout containers. Uh, but the, otherwise, if I leave, I just leave my work at home and I go home and I don't have to deal with it anymore. Oh, what a what a dream to have a job you don't care about. And I feel like there's a little bit of that in my in my uh, romanticizing of Kermit's time as an advertising executive. Jim enjoyed having fewer responsibilities this time around, serving only as performer and producer. But he was there at Frank's disposal, supporting his longtime friend and partner. Frank, for his part, proved a harsh taskmaster, demanding endless takes until even the eternally sanguine Jim grew angry with him. Apparently that anger manifested as a sort of overwhelming silence, but still, Frank had made Guy Smiley mad. I love Muppets Take Manhattan, I think because it is sort of the Muppets at their most character-driven craziest. Um, I think that's probably due in no small part to Frank Oz directing this one, and Oz really understands character. Um, and Jim Henson often said that Frank Oz is the man who made the Muppets funny. So I think you're seeing Oz, his fingerprints all over Muppets Take Manhattan. I think, I think it's one of the most fun ones uh, of the three movies made in Jim's lifetime. Um, Jim liked it again because he wasn't in charge. He, he liked not being in charge. You, when you see, you'll see some footage of him um, being interviewed on TV and he says, oh, I can sit here and I can have a cup of tea and like all this filming out on the street, that's their problem, not mine. So, uh, so I think he liked not being in charge. <laughs> Frank Oz said at one point that, um, you know, Jim had asked him to co-direct Dark Crystal with him, uh, which was very generous. And Frank Oz said, you know, I wasn't sure that I was up to this. And I kept asking Jim, you know, are, are you sure you want me to do this? And Jim just told Oz, I think it would be better um, if the two of us did it together. And Oz said that that gave him the confidence he needed to get into directing. And look at the director Frank Oz has become since then. But Muppets Take Manhattan is Jim saying, Frank, go, you're in charge now. But, you know, I, I really do think that, that that's when you're seeing Oz's fingerprints. And you're seeing how that relationship between Jim and Frank Oz really translates onto the screen. Uh, I find that movie to be a lot of fun. Um, it, it's it, you know, does the plot hang together as well as some others? Probably not, but uh, but it, but boy, it sure is fun. Muppets Take Manhattan is kind of an interesting one to me because I feel like with Frank Oz taking over as director, it seemed like he was really interested in the emotional reality of the Muppets and having it being a coherent story in a way that I respect and understand but just as like I'm not one of the people who likes Life of Brian the most of Monty Python I like Holy Grail the most just because it's the funniest to me uh, I find the earlier movies more compelling because I find them funnier I'm more happy with their willingness to cram a lot of gags in but I do love, love, love the moment where Gregory Hines is <laughs> chasing, chases, has chased after Miss Piggy to retrieve his roller skates. And he, he ends up arbitrating this fight between Kermit and Miss Piggy that he has no context for until the point where they both kind of look at him like, wait, who is this guy? And he says, keep the skates, keep the skates. I just like running around in shorts. And he runs off and it's so funny. Kirby getting hit by the car is such a wild digression and I love him as the uh, weird businessman, bland businessman version of himself that apparently has 
you know, latent in Kermit all these has been there all these years. And my friend, uh, my friend Mary once said, I kind of just want to see a movie that's all Kermit hanging around with these guys because it is pretty funny. <laughs> After the cross-country pursuit of the Muppet movie and the international intrigue of the great Muppet caper, the Muppets take Manhattan is comparatively small scale. We meet Kermit and the gang as graduating college seniors who take their spring musical to New York in search of a producer to bring the review to Broadway. Rebuffed at every turn, the Muppets go their separate ways until Kermit encounters a shocking twist of fate, a sympathetic producer who's willing to put on their show. There's only one problem. Immediately upon leaving the meeting, Kermit is hit by a car and stricken with amnesia. With Kermit unable to remember his friends, all seems lost until a last-minute memory recovery means the show can go on. Muppets Take Manhattan, I just, I think I like Muppets Take Manhattan so much because it's kind of a showbiz musical, and and as a, you know, as a kid, like that kind of showbiz stuff is always easy to fall in love with. I also like that um, it's kind of, a, it always reminded me, now this is probably a childhood like based on because of my parents, but it always reminded me a little bit of the um, producers because my, my dad really loved the producers. And I feel like when I was a kid, I kind of had these, the producers in Muppets Take Manhattan like mixed in my head of like which scenes were from Muppets Take Manhattan and which scenes were from um, <laughs> the producers because they all take place in like uh those offices that you i don't even think those offices are real but those offices the the, the film version of a producer's office um and and i like the um sort of journey that kermit goes on in this in this uh in this movie where he's just sort of First, he's trying to put on the show, and then he get, gets a co gets in a coma, and then he loses his memory, and then you're like, "Oh no, will Muppet, will you know, will Kermit get back with Miss Piggy?" Um, I just really appreciated the sort of big swings in the plot that this movie took. Another day, another Muppet movie. What'd you think of the Muppets Take Manhattan? I loved it. Did you really love it? Yep. Absolutely, truly. Uh huh cool what did you love about it well i loved that it was silly and fun did you love it more or less than the muppet movie more more or less than great muppet caper more so it's your number one yep what makes it your number one do you think it i liked it well i liked the scene with the muppet babies and that was what made me love it that pushed it over the top for you uh huh. I do like that scene, and I like that song an awful lot. Mm -hmm. So this is a movie that's really about the Muppets putting on a show, which is kind of one of their main deals, putting on a show. So what do you think of the show that they put on? I liked it. Is it something you'd go see on Broadway? Mm-hmm. Manhattan Melodies? Can you, what, what does it seem like Manhattan Melodies is about? Um, It's about two... Um, Two people who get married and then they go move to New York. Seems like a solid show. Um, let's see. Um, I told you I really like the stuff in the diner. The stuff with the rats cooking is one of my favorite things in any Muppet movie and maybe any movie. Oh. Didn't do anything for you? I thought they were kind of disgusting at some points. Oh, you didn't like the rat stuff? Yep. 
do you like when we see all of the Muppets going in their different directions and seeing what they're up to when they go off on their lives? Mm-hmm. Were any of those particularly funny? Um, the dog part. Oh, Ralph with the, uh, working in a kennel? Mm-hmm. Good old Ralph, huh? Mm-hmm. What did you think of this uh, lady that Kermit is working with at the diner? I liked her. Did you ever think that maybe she and Kermit were going to get together? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> you really thought they were going to? Yep. You and Miss Piggy both, huh? Mm-hmm. She was stressed out about it. Oh, you remembered this part, the part where Miss Piggy is working at the beauty counter with Joan Rivers. We haven't watched this movie in, like, half your life, and you remembered this part. Mm-hmm. What was so good about this, do you think? I liked that they, well, I thought it was funny, and they thought it was funny. What happens in this scene that's so funny? Well, when they looked at each other and went, ha, 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 ha. What? Why were they doing that? We're working backwards here. Well, because I don't really know. They just liked the makeup, I guess. Fair enough. Kermit, of course, uh, sells the show, and it's very exciting, and he goes outside, and what happens? Kermit hits her. <laughs> Can you tell us what you're doing a reference to? My little brother. What happened with your little brother in this movie? Well, he he watched it with me with me and Daddy when we were very little, and then we and then even after an hour after we finished the movie, he was he was still walking around going Kermit Hicker all over the house. <laughs> That's right. It's one of our little bits of family lore, and maybe we can drop the clip in right here. We finished Muppets Take Manhattan what two hours ago, and what are you thinking about? What happened? It's car. You still think about when Kermit got hit by the car? It's car. And that seems like it really impacted you, huh? It's, it's car. I know you sort of usually just let movies wash over you, but this one. Muppies. Yeah. It's car. Yeah. I'm sorry that that was so upsetting for you. You feeling okay? Muppies. It's okay. <laughs> Today you learned what amnesia is. What do you think of amnesia now? I'm scared. I'm going to get it. Yeah, it's one of those things that, like, you see it in kids' movies and stuff, and, like, it's just not that much of a real concern for regular people. It's just something that's that's convenient in movies. So I wouldn't be too worried about it. Are you still worried about it? Yep. Okay. Well, look both ways before you cross the street, and maybe you can avoid amnesia. That show, incidentally, features a wedding between Kermit and Miss Piggy that Kermit finds oddly realistic. But before he can get any answers on who the priest is that replaced Gonzo, he and Piggy have been declared frog and wife, and the credits have rolled. And then we have the big number. Um, so what do you think? Do you think uh, Kermit and Piggy are married? Oh, um, I think they are and they aren't. Yeah, I, I went to a... A midnight screening of this at the um, what used to be the Sunshine Cinema in New York. Um, I think when I turned forty, it was it was the week of my birthday or something around then, and I went to see um, that movie with a bunch of friends. It's interesting because like there's a joke right at the beginning of it where like you're on a college campus and you hear a woman scream and animals like chasing her down the aisle and you're like, oh, it's interesting. Not every joke holds up. Um, there are things in the movie that at the time were considered like funny that, uh, 
are not considered funny anymore. I think that um, it was my third favorite of the Muppet movies, but that's not a criticism of that as a movie. It's more just that they'd really figured it out at that point. And I love it as a New York 80s movie, most of all, I think. I love... And I think the central plot is great. I think the... um, Kermit getting amnesia and going to work for the ad agency is one of my favorite beats in any Muppet movie because I think it's genuinely like um, an upsetting plot turn. Um, I think the ending of the movie is uh, brilliant. I think ending it with Kermit being tricked into actually marrying uh, Miss Piggy because they hired a real preacher to conduct the wedding and I've always maintained it people will argue with me about it but I'm like no they're married after that like um, even though these movies exist in their own fictional context there's a part of me that looks at that scene and thinks that not only is the not only is that happening to the character versions of these characters in the movie but that in whatever base reality you believe the Muppets exist in that Miss Piggy, when they were making the Muppets Take Manhattan, got Frank Oz to hire a, a real priest or preacher or justice of the peace, whatever it is, uh, and they were legally married. And I believe, at least within the Jim Henson lifespan of the basic Muppets, that from that point on, I believe that Kermit and Miss Piggy are married. It probably, I think after Jim dies, I think the reality of who the Muppets are becomes fluid in a way that I don't, you know, there's no part of me that when they start making the ABC TV series years later is quibbling about like, no, wait, they were married. I think it. there's a lot of resetting that goes on once you have someone other than Jim uh, voicing Kermit. But I really always just believe, yes, and that is, that is the conclusion of, um, with, with two big exceptions, that is the conclusion of The Muppets by Jim Henson is Piggy tricks Kermit into getting married. Uh, You could look at that as a a huge violation, a betrayal, a deception, but I believe it is like, as a viewer, uh, it's what Kermit needs. He wants that, even if he won't admit it to himself. It's, uh, he wants to be married to Piggy, and what he needs is to be tricked into doing it because he uh, has commitment issues. We'll be right back. After the- Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards quick break it's the Muppets take Manhattan we should all be so lucky it's really lovely it I, I it strikes me that it one of the things that makes the Muppets a force is their lack of sentimentality um, and like one sentimentality creeps in in the post tense years we get diminishing returns. But like returning to the wedding of 
Miss Piggy and Kermit, I am struck by the fact that this is sentimentality on the Muppets level. And like they were capable of producing it. And I think a lot of that comes from Frank Oz, right? Like taking the jokes so seriously in a Gene Wilder-esque way that they, be, they, they become their own source of, of energy generating material. It, it, it does, it feels different from certainly the other two movies, but I am really moved by that wedding. Yeah, it's it's almost eerie that that sequence. It's so ethereal. Yeah. And comes out of nowhere. It it feels like it exists on this dream logic level even in the absurdist world of the Muppets. It's surreal because it's not clear if it's actually occurring. Right. In universe, whatever that means. It is interesting to play the thought experiment of of what is canonically reality in the world of the Muppets. Is the Muppet <laughs> yeah. Show taking place in reality? And the Muppet movie is their movie about what happened before the Muppet Show? It's I like that game. Yeah, and the seeming ease with which Henson and his collaborators had with exposing the, the central illusion, which was the illusion of life, and like bringing the puppets on talk shows, and like, which I feel like exists in opposition to like the Disney corporate model now, which is like, if you ask any cast member, you know, how many Mickey Mouses there are, they will say there's one Mickey Mouse. Like there is this like oppressive, real illusion. Whereas there was a real two-way navigation between the, the Muppets and the art of making the Muppets. And what I love about those talk show appearances is Jim was not a ventriloquist. None of them were, but it didn't matter. Because there's, there's this great clip where Jim is saying, well, rather Kermit is saying, mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is the frog is a great deal more interesting and who notices what the bearded man is doing. Yeah. yeah. And if you, you have to force your eyes to look at Jim Henson, who is just speaking normally, because yeah. you're pulled back to the, the character who is talking. Yeah. I mean, some of those, those early Cabot interviews with like the three of them, they're just a treat because they're so out of place these men well it's 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 never been cool but for a little while it was apparently cool like there's <laughs> something so so incredibly uncool about jim henson and for a little while that worked <laughs> uh the muppets took manhattan um did not resonate for me the way the first two muppet movies did um there's a lot of great stuff there that opening sequence is unbelievable um, and it introduced some great new Muppets. But something felt um, a little bit off about the Muppets Take Manhattan for me. I think it was that um, the songs didn't stick with me as powerfully. Um, maybe it was you know the absence of Paul Williams. Um, I don't know. Um, but also it felt a bit... I was becoming... A little bit aware of of stuff that felt designed to make fans happy, designed to sort of provide wish fulfillment, and in that in that classic moonlighting uh, way, if you have Kermit and Piggy get married, you have broken something in the Muppets, because what makes Kermit and Piggy funny is that that absurdity, that tension, that strange attraction, uh, but then the constant sort of turning against one another or disappointing one another. And uh, 
I just I remember even at that young age going, I I think this is the wrong move. <laughs> um, so that yeah, that movie didn't stick with me as much. Um, but it was also, I think, increasingly clear that Henson's interests were changing. Uh, he was more interested in uh, projects like Labyrinth, um, projects like The Dark Crystal, and uh, Jim Henson's Storyteller. These other, these other more ambitious, um, innovative kinds of puppetry and storytelling. The Muppets Take Manhattan contains a number of standout sequences and technical achievements. I'm quite partial to the rats cooking in the diner myself, but by far the most significant passage in the film must be the Muppet Babies sequence. In a fantasy interlude, Piggy imagines all the Muppets as infants in a nursery singing the bouncy ditty, I'm Gonna Always Love You. is a low-key technical marvel due to the size and shape of the stubby little puppets, which required a combination of marionette work and radio control. But the sequence would carve its place in history when it spawned Henson Associates' first foray into Saturday morning television. It was a frontier Jim had long resisted, but finally he relented. If children were already watching cartoons on Saturday morning, he reasoned they may as well be watching a Henson product, one with a message. This time that message was the value of creativity. I think we can try to do something rather important with this show. There's almost no teaching of creativity that I know of. We can show the Muppet Babies using their individual creativity and how each one can do the same thing differently. There's no right or wrong to it. The message caught on. The show was a sensation and won the Emmy for Best Animated Program the first four out of its seven years on the air. The film's ending nuptials caused a significant stir in the press, largely due to the ambiguity of its framing. Were Kermit and Miss Piggy really married? Was it part of the play within a movie? What was going on? Why was this Muppet movie messing with people's heads? Jim and Frank fed on the confusion, holding in-character debates during interviews. He and Piggy were actors, Kermit would argue. On-camera weddings are never real. Ah, Piggy countered. But the actor playing the priest was really ordained, which was true. To this day, debate rages over whether Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy are really married. Okay, debate probably doesn't rage, but I'm not sure the matter was ever definitively settled. There was another matter that took time to be definitively settled, that of the film's opening credits. Having not just directed, but almost entirely written the film, Frank hoped it might open with the words, a Frank Oz film. But Jim balked. Wasn't any Muppet Project really a Jim Henson film? Finally, though, Jim relented. His friend and collaborator of over 20 years could have his credit, and it wouldn't be his last. Just two years later, Frank was tapped to direct the puppet extravaganza Little Shop of Horrors, and an auspicious directorial career had begun. That same year, Jim made a major decision. Ever since he had been forced to deal with Robert Holmes Accord, successor to his previous financier, Lord Lou Grade, he had been unhappy. Holmes Accord was a corporate raider with little love for either Jim or the arts in general. 
it was hard to see a prosperous future between Henson Associates and that type of businessman. And so Jim made a proposal. In exchange for $6.5 million up front and an additional $750,000 per year for the following two years, Jim would buy back all rights to the Muppets. Holmes Accord had no objections. For the first time in a long time, the Muppets were once again the sole property of Henson Associates. This is the one I remember the least, and it's kind of funny. I think it's because I was scared of the little rat characters for whatever reason when I was a kid. It really freaked me out. And um, so I rewatched it actually uh, this week, and I had a lot of fun with it. I totally forgot that Kermit gets a human friend named Jenny, so I love that. Um, you know, Kermit should get a little other action going sometimes. Now, Jenny is a friend, but Piggy doesn't like that very much and needs to learn her boundaries. I think the scene in Central Park where her purse gets stolen, she's going, you know, because she's following Kermit and Jenny and she has to get her purse back is really hilarious. I think the plot is a little mixed. The thing I forgot the most uh, about these movies, I hadn't really rewatched. I rewatched Great Muppet Caper a couple of years ago, but I hadn't watched them all back to back to back, was Animal yelling, you know, woman, woman, and like going after women. And I don't know, for whatever reason, it just struck me as hilarious. And like, I almost fell off the couch uh, because I had just seen him do it in great Muppet caper and then he does it yet again and chases some woman, poor woman in this college like right out the door which was very funny um the plot it doesn't really make a lot of sense you know don't put these all together they are journalists in London and then all of a sudden they go back to college and then they're on Broadway like you know but I also love that this was 1984 so they introduced the Muppet Babies characters because some of my favorite childhood memories were watching the Muppet Babies on Saturday morning and like my parents would get uh, sprinkled donuts and it was like a fun Saturday. I remember the song and I just loved that animated series. So it was cool to see the Muppet Babies and have those memories again. The Muppets Take Manhattan was hardly the critical smash the Muppet movie had been, though it didn't take the drubbing of the great Muppet caper either. In a review for the Windsor Star, John Laycock deemed the film, quote, the funniest, cleverest of the three Muppet movies, end quote. But in his review, Peter Travers wrote, quote, the Muppets Take Manhattan gives the lamentable impression of having been done on the cheap. It's an odd movie, and a deeply disappointing one, end quote. In fact, the film had the same budget as the Muppet movie at $8 million, but it brought back only $25 million at the box office. Nothing to sneeze at, but certainly no Muppet movie. Muppets Take Manhattan is also the first time I remember crying in a film. I had a profound emotional reaction to uh, the moment, you know, sort of uh, as we're sort of moving through the second act of the film where the Muppets have come to Manhattan. Uh, and like in the first film where they go to Hollywood and sort of just expect to be handed, you know, a giant contract for, you know, the the, the standard, you know, uh, you know, famous and successful contract they're sort of expecting to get the same treatment when they get to new york and things don't work out uh they they hit the immediate roadblocks they they all need to get uh you know their survival jobs and eventually they break up and they all go their separate ways and the the song is 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 great and very sad and, and you watch all of the different muppets uh leave town in in different ways 
and you are left with this image of um, Kermit walking down a street at night and superimposed around his face are the faces of all the other Muppets singing about how this hasn't worked out and saying goodbye. And that is the first time I remember crying in a film. It completely, completely messed me up. And I think in many ways that is... I I feel very connected to that scene and that film and Kermit because I feel a great sense of sort of loyalty and responsibility to the people I love. And I'm not going to say that like my moral compass in that way comes from Kermit the Frog, but I'm not going to say that it doesn't. Whatever Jim's feelings on the film's reception, though, he was distracted by a problem he could no longer ignore. For years, there had been tensions between the New York Muppet Workshop and the England one. The New York shop had been first, but ever since Jim moved to England, they felt they had received less of his attention, and, with prestigious projects like the Dark Crystal being handled overseas, less of his favor as well. Jim struck on an idea he thought might simmer tensions. Why not differentiate, dubbing the London workshop the Jim Henson Creature Workshop? Muppets on one side of the Atlantic, creatures on the other. That should keep things copacetic. But tensions were not so quickly eased. Even while they had toiled on the Muppet threequel, it had been clear Jim's mind was with his creatures in London, and at the heart of a maze. On the next episode of The Great Henson Caper, dance, podcast, dance. Anything you want to say? Any last uh, parting words? Watch this movie. Great. Okay. Come on, every morning.